You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, church, and a happy new year. Are you guys ready this morning? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. This is a festive day. What a great day. You you guys see the harp in the lobby? You didn't see the harp in the lobby. Oh, man, we're going to have to do it again. There was an angel playing a harp in the lobby. It was beautiful. We got Christmas. How about that choir, huh? Hey, choir, that was amazing. I love it, man. I'm still waiting for my invitation to the choir. Man, they said it's in the mail. But whatever that means, man. And then we got baptisms today. You guys ready to see some baptisms in a few moments? It is a great, great day to celebrate here at East Point Church. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah 43. And as you turn there, I'm just curious because this morning I want to talk to you about love. Love, right? Can you spell love? Yeah, exactly. Love, all right? How many of you have ever received a love letter? Come on, be honest, right? You're like, yeah, I still have it in my sock drawer. I know, I know. Dudes, any guys in there? How many of you have received a love letter, guys? All right, all right. Here's a better question for my guys. How many of you have ever written a love letter? The hands go up a little bit slower for that one, right? You're like, yeah, come on, man, where are you at? How many of you have put and poured your declaration of affection into the written word, all right? Yeah, guilty, I see, right? Maybe you were so inspired, not only did you put it to paper, but maybe you even put it to song. How many of you have written a love song? Maybe even a love poem? I know, come on, why are the ladies making you raise your hands, right? Come on, the best of us have written some ditties in our day, huh? Before you get too, too impressed, this is not an original, but I would like to share it anyway. Can I? Anybody a fan of a good love poem? All right, I didn't put this one to words, but like I said, it's not original, it's a classic, author is unknown. Can I share it with you for real? You're not going to laugh at me, are you? Is this a safe place? Merry Christmas. Here we go. All right, here's how it goes. This is so good. You ready? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Huh? What do you guys think? Come on, what? Not impressed? God, this is this this is a song. This is a little ditty that represents the thrill of young love, right? At the center of this little poem, right, is the hope that the love and affection that I feel in my heart is mutual. In these words contains the longing of a person that knows that there are three little words that can change everything. I love you. Look to your neighbor and say, I love you. I said, tell them I love you. It's like, I hope you knew your neighbor. I should have asked first. All right, make sure you know your neighbor and then say... I love you. Friend, these powerful little words can change everything, can't they? These are words that can change the trajectory of a child's life. 
These are words that can give you strength and endurance to face the most difficult situations. These three little words, I love you, can provide hope even in the darkest of nights. These are words that when you hear them, it makes the world feel a little safer. I love you. I love you, church. I really do. And so today, we are going to hear these three little words. But we're not going to hear it from a poem, such as the one I shared. We're not going to hear it from your neighbor. We're not going to hear it from your spouse. You're not even going to hear it from your romantic interest. I'm sorry. This morning, we hear these words spoken to us, I love you. And we, and we look around. We go, who, who said that? We hear these powerful words and and we look for the source only to realize that these words are not coming from around us. They're coming from above us. This morning we see that God has arrived on the scene. And he from heaven himself is announcing his love for his people. The Lord has come this morning with a love letter. And as much as I like this work, it's so much better, friends. You see, sometimes we look to God and we we feel insecure about his love. The world has a lot of questions. What does God really think about me? Does Does he really love me? And we feel as insecure as he loves me, he loves me not. I'm not really sure what God thinks. But this morning, as God comes and delivers his love letter, he is going to put all doubt out of our mind. For the next few moments, he is going to deliver a powerful declaration of his unbreakable and undeniable love for his people. This morning, in this letter, God looks to his people and he says, I love you. I love you. Are you guys ready for this love letter this morning? Do you mind if I share it with you? I promise you it's better than the last thing I did, okay? Are you ready? Here we go. Isaiah chapter 43, and we begin in verse 1. This is God's word. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, And from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is God's word for his church this morning. This is God's love letter. And so let's open up this letter. Let's go back to the first two verses and let's just break it down, okay? If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that Israel is in a tough situation. They're sitting in captivity, far from their homeland, and the future is uncertain. 
If you were to interview them, they would tell you that every single day is filled with the fear of the unknown. The pain and the tragedy of yesterday leaves them wondering if they have the strength to face the next tomorrow. Life right now is straight up daunting. Ever been there? So God shows up to these people and he says, hey, my people, thus says the Lord. This is what God says. He says to them, fear not. Have you ever gone up to somebody who's worried and go, just don't worry about it. And they go, oh, is that all it is? Well, that was simple. Thank you for telling me, right? Just don't feel that way. Men, not good advice, all right? Not, don't try to fix it. He comes and he says, fear not. And I can just imagine them. They go, easy for you to say, God, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you know the pain of this situation? How could you possibly tell me not to fear? What other response could I possibly have in the middle of my current situation? I thought you knew. And friend, he absolutely does know. He absolutely sees what they and what you are going through. But the faithfulness of our Father hushes the fears of our future. The faithfulness of our Father hushes the fears of our future. He comes to these people who are scared. And his first thing he does, he responds by reminding them who they're dealing with. He says, don't you realize who's talking to you? Don't, don't you remember the God who is speaking to you? He's not a far away God. The, the God who's addressing you right now is not distant and aloof and disconnected. No, no, no. Guys, this is the God who created you. This is the God who brought you into existence and he gives you inherent value. This is the God who made you in his image. This is who we're dealing with here. And friends, not only did he create you, it says here, he formed you. Oh, think about it, right? In Genesis 1, God spoke creation into existence, right? Do you guys remember that? He said, let there be light, and there's light. He spoke creation into existence, except for humanity. Did God say, let there be man? Did he say, let there be woman? No, no, he spoke almost all of creation into existence. But when he got to mankind, when he got to the pinnacle of his creation, when he got to humanity, it, set, it pictures him as if he's on his hands and his knees. And God is moving dirt. And he's breathing into it. And he's touching a rib. And he's making a woman. And God has his fingerprints all over mankind. He is forming them in this process that is intimate and involved. We were the pinnacle of his creation. Friends, he created you. He formed you. He sees you. He knows you. He's aware of your inside parts. This is the God that we're dealing with. Not only did he create you, but even when you got yourself into a mess, it says here, he says, I have redeemed you. I'm the God who went into the place of your captivity and I broke you out of there. Prison break. I'm the God who showed up into Egypt and I called, not in a general sense, come one, come all. Hey, if anybody wants to follow me, come. He goes, no, no, no. I broke into Egypt and I called you by name. Israel, Jacob, Audrey. I know you. I've called you by name. And ever since the day that I called you, you are no longer captives. You are mine. 
don't forget who you're dealing with here. The God who created you. The God who made you his. How many of you guys enjoy family videos? Home videos, right? Videos on your phone of your family, okay? Anybody, how many of you put pictures up all around your house, right? My, I don't know what's gonna happen to this generation, guys. Who knows? But I have like seven family videos from my childhood and like 17 pictures and I can like remember them all. My kid has more pictures of him just from yesterday. Right, how many of your phones, there's like 27 and a half gigabytes of pictures of your children, right? This was day 493, that was a great day. This was day 527, oh my goodness, right? Family pictures, we remember where we came from. God is looking through the family photo album. God is looking at the pictures. He's rehearsing the family stories, the most important family stories. He says, I created you. Remember this one? I saved you. Oh, remember this one? I redeemed you. I made you mine. Don't you remember? Friends, what has God saved you from? Do you remember? Where were you when God showed up in your life and he called you by name? What was the trajectory of your life? What was the trajectory of your eternity when he showed up and he said, you are now mine? Do you remember This is the God that we're dealing with this morning. Not just the God who created us, the God who saves us. This is a God who comes into your situation and he breaks you out of your slavery to sin. Who frees us and rescues us from the universal human addictions to our appetites and to our ambitions and to the approval of others. This is the God we're dealing with. He doesn't just say, come one, come all, I'll be there if you need me. He comes and he calls you by name and he sees you and he says, I am making you mine, says the Lord. Have you taken time, friend, to rehearse your story lately? Have you taken time to tell someone else just what it was that God redeemed you from? You should. Do you remember? Do you remember? He has saved you. And so he shows up this morning, he says, I get it. I know that there's fear. I know that there's uncertainty. I know that you are scared out of your mind. But remember, I created you. I've redeemed you. I'm mindful of you. I am intimately aware of your situation. Therefore, yes, I can tell you, fear not. Because you're mine. And if you're mine... If you belong to me, God says, guess what? I will be with you. You're not getting rid of me. There are times in your life, and I know you in this room know this, there are times in your life where life feels like you are fording a river, like Oregon Trail style, right? And you are passing through the waters and you are just holding on for dear life and you feel like at any moment the currents of, the, of life and the stream will just pass you down the river. And God says, I get it. I know life feels like that sometimes. But even in those moments, this is the promise. They will not overwhelm you. Why? Because I'm with you. There are times in your life where the the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations, it makes it feel like you are in an oven. It makes it feel like you are being hung up over the flames of a fire. And like a paper that's held and dangled over fire and just, and it's consumed. You're like, that's what my life feels like right now. 
And God says, even when you go through the fire, you will not be consumed. It won't consume you. Why? Because I will be with you. Maybe you face the raging waters, friend. Maybe you know the fiery trials. But here's what God is saying. That even the most difficult of circumstances, even the most dangerous of circumstances, are not enough to separate you from him. And so we let his faithful presence hush our future fears. He says, I get it, but I'm with you. I get it, but I will be with you. This is his promise. What blows me away is that when I look at their trials, when I look at the raging waters of Israel, when I look at the fiery trials, think about it. They're in this situation not because life happens. They're in this situation because their mistakes happened. They've brought this on themselves. They've done this to themselves. And yet, even in this, God says, I will still be with you. Friends, good news. Even if your current predicament is your own fault, that doesn't disqualify you from his faithfulness. Even if you're in danger because you've brought it on yourself, even if this is the natural consequences of your mistakes, he says, you're still mine and I am with you. Man, what did Israel do to deserve such a special relationship with God, huh? Like, what do you have to do to qualify to have the creator of the universe so committed to you, right? Like, how did they get into this relationship? The key, the answer, is found in God's name. And so look at the next verse where God tells his name. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. God defines himself by his relationship with his people. God defines himself here by his relationship with his people. Who's the one telling them not to fear? He says, hey, hey, this is who's talking. It's me. I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. In your English Bibles, whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, this is not a generic name for God, right? They're using a proper name here. This is not the generic word for, you know, God in general, a God. No, no, no. L-O-R-D capitals, this means Yahweh. They're translating the proper name, the formal, personal name of God. This is the name that he declared when he entered into a marriage covenant with Israel. Let me put it this way. This is the name that God signs on the marriage certificate, on the dotted line, when he gets into relationship with them. Yahweh. And so every time we hear that name, every time we see that name, the author or the speaker is hearkening back. It's reminding us and drawing our attention to remember who you're dealing with. This is Yahweh. This is the one who willingly entered into a covenant relationship, not because you were good enough, just because he did. Don't forget who we're dealing with here. This is the one who has entered into an unbreakable, unbreakable relationship so that he could be called your God. He's your Savior. Man, God 
is so committed to this marriage. He is so committed to this relationship that he's even modified his name. Look what he calls himself. Look at the, what, What's the designation for God? Is it Mr. God? Is it, is it Sir Lord? Is it Your Highness Majesty? What, what do we, what's the designation for God? Right here. The Holy One. Period. I mean, that is the perfect designation for God. The one that is completely other, holy. The one that is so unlike anything that we experience here on earth that he sums it up. That, if you were to stop right there, that is the perfect designation for God. Who is God? The Holy One. Boom! Nailed it. But he doesn't end there, does he? He actually adds on to an otherwise perfect designation. He says, I am the Holy One. What? Of Israel. Of Israel. He is saying that his relationship with his people is such a defining part of himself that he has baked it into his name. He has amended a perfect designation. Every time this name is spoken, every time you read this name, you will realize that to think about me is to think about my deep commitment and faithfulness to my people. You can't understand me without understanding how committed I am to my people. (sighs) How many married women do I have in the room? Just curious. Okay. Hey, what's up? All right. On average, this is the statistic, 70 to 80% of married women change their last name. Right? That's a funny thing. Why do we do that? You know? What is that about, right? 70 to 80% of women literally, legally change their name. So that every time they give someone their license, every time they go to the bank teller, every time they're in the DMV, every time they introduce themselves, their very name is a reminder, I have chosen and have committed to love this man for the rest of my life. I am Jordan Cassis, right? (sighs) Change your name, ladies. It is a reminder, it is a declaration to the world, I am his and his alone, and he is mine. Right? It's not a woman who's changing her name in this verse. It's not a wife who's modifying her name. It's God himself. The Lord is amending his name in a way that says, every time someone reads my name, every time someone hears my designation, they will remember that I have attached myself to you. This is amazing. This is like me getting married, right? And she's like, all right, now I'm Mrs. Cassis. And I go, all right, I'm going to go change my name too. Ready? And she's like, what are you going to change your name to? I'm like, babe, I got this. Just trust me, all right? And we get there, and I fill out the paperwork, and they read it. And I'm like, don't tell her yet. And they're like, okay, are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. Change my name. I'm married. They go, okay. Well, the power invested in me, I now pronounce you Jordan's Sam. That's my first name. Good morning, Jordan Sam. Good morning, Stephanie's Chad. Good morning. Your name. Good morning, Kelly's Brad. Right? Like, imagine if I made my name literally a reminder that every time you say my name, every time you read my name tag, every time you see me, you remember whose I am. And God says, don't forget whose I am. Don't forget who belongs to me. Friends, do you believe that God loves you? Do you actually believe that he is so deeply committed to this relationship with his people? Do you believe that? 
Or are you still here going, he loves me, he loves me not, he mildly tolerates me when I'm okay, then he's frustrated by me. Like, friends, he's changed his name. His very name speaks of his commitment. And if his name doesn't do it for you, look at his actions here. He says to them in this love letter, (laughs) this is the best love letter ever. He is so committed to Israel. This is such a unique and special relationship with his people that he says, hey, you know what, babe? I would willingly give other nations in exchange for you. Ooh, romantic. Okay. He's like, Egypt, Cush, Seba. Oh yeah, I'd give them over as a ransom for you in a heartbeat. You're like, okay, what am I reading here? Right? At first, that, count, that sounds kind of intense, right? Like, those poor Egyptians. What about all the people in Cush? It sounds intense until you remember that you're reading a love letter. Where are those guys at who have written a love letter? All right? Ladies, let me talk to you for a second. I love you, ladies. You're, you're great. You're awesome. But I got to settle with you, all right? Let me level. If all of you were in prison, hypothetically speaking, um, and I was given the opportunity to ransom one of y'all, hashtag sorry, not sorry. It's not even close. It's my wife. Right? If I was given an opportunity to exchange anybody on this planet for one prisoner, ladies, it's not even a contest. Sorry, I'm picking my wife. She's mine. I'll let the other husbands, I'll let those other dudes take care of their ladies, but she's mine. And so I will willingly give people an exchange for her. And so God is saying, hey, Israel, who's right now in captivity, Israel, who's right now sitting in prison, he goes, I want you to know it's not even a contest. I would give nations as a ransom for you. You are mine. I'll let those other gods that they worship, I'll let their gods that they put their trust in take care of them, but you're mine. Man, what a romantic love letter for all my single guys out there. Just try this next time you're writing to your girlfriend. Babe, I love you so much that if you were ever in prison, man, I'd break you out before anybody else. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, try it. Let me know how it goes. I'm just curious, right? That's what God is saying here. Among all the nations, you're mine. I'm committed to you. Do you know why? Do you know why he's so committed in this relationship? Do you know why he has so put his, his commitment to this people? He says why, right here. Because you're precious in my eyes. Because you have a place of honor. You've been honored in my heart because I love you. I love you. Well, well, Lord, I I was wondering, like, but why do you love us? You know, he's like, oh, I know. Because I love you. But God, like, what, what, what is it about me? What is it about us that you love? Like, you love me because I'm beautiful. You love me because I'm a bit. He says, no, I love you because I've put my affection on you. I love you because I've chosen you. I I love you just because I do. And at first, our minds can't really fathom that. Like, why does God love us? But then we realize that if he were to add any other answer, it would make his love conditional. I love you because you're obedient. And then as soon as we're not obedient, he would lose the foundation for his love. No, the only foundation, the only reason for his love is because he loves you. It's because he's him. And that will never change. Therefore, his love will never change. We belong 
to the one who loves us, friends. And if this is our God, if he loves us this much, if he is this deeply committed to his people, then when he tells us to fear not, we can do that. Because his love is our strength in the face of our fears. What do you fear right now? What are your current predicaments? What are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that rob you of your restful sleep? Friend, the Lord is clear that his love is our courage. His love is our strength. His love is my comfort and my assurance that I need not fear because he loves me and I'm his and he's with me. Fear not. Fear not, people. You're mine. And so in our last verses here, he turns to Israel and he goes, if I'm the God who created you, if I'm the God who has saved you and redeemed you, if I'm the God who has made you mine, then what else can you possibly expect as an outcome for your current situation? And he makes this promise. He says, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God looks at Israel in the eyes. He looks at these people who are sitting in captivity and he promises, I will bring my children home. God will bring his children home. Yesterday's salvation, remembering yesterday's salvation, gives us hope for tomorrow. He goes, think about what we've been through. Surely you must know. Surely you must not be surprised, friend, that I will bring you back. That I will gather you. Surely you must not be surprised that I say that I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with your captors. I'm going to go toe-to-toe and challenge these global superpowers. And I'm going to shout at them, hey, don't withhold them. Bring them back right here. He says, I'm going to call you back. And as he challenges these superpowers, as he challenges the people that enslave us, what does he call us? My sons and my daughters. He says, nations, you need to understand something. That the ones that you're messing with, those are my kids. The ones who are your captives are my children These are those who have been called by my name. Another name here, friends. See, not only does God refer to himself in a way that reflects his commitment to us, he refers to you in a way that reflects your belonging to him. He says, you're his son. You're his daughter. That is your name. That is your identity. You are called by his name. And so, yes, I'm Jordan Sam. Nice to meet you. But I'm also God's Sam. I'm God's Jordan's Sam. It's getting long now, right? You're God's son. You're God's daughter. You are called by his name. You see, God is not collecting subjects to rule callously. He's adopting children to love tenderly. He's called you, friend, by his name. Not only did he call you by his name, He's filled you with his purpose. It says here that as he has created, as he formed humanity, he gave you a purpose. 
He put a calling on your life to live for something that is infinitely bigger than yourself. He says here that you were created for my glory. There's a purpose for your life, friend. This is your purpose. You are created by God for God. Do you know that? You were created so that your life would be a display to the whole world of just how good God is. Like a billboard on the side of the highway, your life was meant to display the beautiful panorama of God's attributes. People will know how good he is and how loving he is and how glorious he is and how other he is and how righteous he is by looking at your life. He's created you for that purpose. Are you living out your purpose? He created you not to promote yourself, but to promote your creator. This is your purpose. And as you live that out, not only will you display his glory, you will enjoy your glory, his glory. Your soul will be most satisfied when the, when the gaze of your soul is fixed on his beauty. Your life will be most fulfilled when you are feasting on the goodness that is God, when you have made it your chief aim in life to glorify him and to enjoy him forever, to promote not yourself, but your creator. And so God is bringing his children home. Those who were created for him, created for his glory, called by his name. And so did he do it? Did he bring back the captives? When you go home, you can turn in your Bibles to Ezra, and you can read there. You can turn next after that to Nehemiah, and you can read there that God did it. God brought back captives 40 years after their exile. You'd see the first wave of captives coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to reestablish life in Jerusalem. He brought back the captives, yes, but he wasn't done. Because in a few years after that, more than 40 years after that, we realized that these captives were not the only captives he had in mind. See, a couple hundred years later, God would once again send a love letter. But this time, the letter would not be written in ink. It would be wrapped in flesh. You see, God is going to send a letter. He is once again going to give his word, his message, his declaration of love. But this letter would not be wrapped in an envelope. It would be delivered in a manger. The greatest demonstration of God's love and commitment to bring his children back right here on Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. This is the ultimate demonstration that God has come to earth to bring his children home. Friends in this room, God has once again acted in history to bring back those who were scattered into the fold of his family. He has once again come into the place of our captivity and he has confronted the enslavers, not of Babylon, not of Egypt, but of sin and addiction and death. And he has called us out, not in a general sense. He called us by name. And he said, you, come. And now here we are. We who once were captives are now called children. Merry Christmas, church. That's what this is. And so here we are. We're calling the world to turn and put their faith in Jesus. 
We're calling the world to rely on him with their life and to learn what it feels like to have God in heaven call you my child and to have everything inside of your soul cry out, my father. This is a call for you daily to turn and rely on Jesus, to know, to live with the confidence that nothing can separate you from his love so that you can be sure of what Paul was sure of. He said, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I am sure that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus, God has put his affection on you, and nothing will separate you from that, friend which means that his love is our strength, even in the face of our fears. His love is your strength in the face of your fears. And so East Point Church, fear not. Fear not. The waters will not overwhelm you. The fires raging will not consume you. For three words have been spoken that change everything. I love you, says the Lord. I love you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you back. Lord, what else can we say in response to your love? What else can we say in response to this declaration of affection and love except to just reciprocate it? Lord, we love you back. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable and unlovely. Thank you for sending Jesus as a demonstration of your love to bring us back into the fold. And so, Lord, I pray that this holiday season, that we would delight in your love. That we would find strength and courage in your love. That even in the midst of the trials, that my friends here, your sons and daughters, would become convinced of your deep love and commitment to them, Lord. Help us to see it. Help us to adore you. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.